you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. And now, here's your host, Chris Voss. ChrisVossShow.com. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. As always, put your arms around that friend of yours. Look him deep in the eye and say, you know how much I appreciate you? I bet I appreciate just a little bit more if you join the family of the Chris Voss Show, the family that loves you and doesn't judge you. Go to Goodreads.com for chess Chris Voss. Go to YouTube.com for chess Chris Voss. Hit the bell notification button, that ding that uh, makes you feel like you accomplished something today. Like, don't procrastinate. There's Like, you want to go screw around all day today? Do one thing and you can do it. Just go to YouTube and hit that bell notification button. Go to all our groups on good on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the places crazy places or all the placey crazies that the people are playing. Uh, also go to our big group, 122,000 people on LinkedIn. Join that. And our uh, big LinkedIn newsletter. That thing is killing it over there. People love that LinkedIn newsletter. So we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out on October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO entrepreneurial toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33, 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. Or order the book where refined books are sold. Today we have an amazing author and journalist on the show. He's the author of a new book that just came out may 3rd 2022 the book is titled after steve how apple became a trillion dollar company and lost its soul by trip mickle he's gonna be on the show talking to us about this today and it's gonna be pretty darn amazing i'm excited already uh he covers google and its parent company alphabet in inc for the wall street journal he previously served as the journal's reporter on apple inc following a stint covering the alcohol and tobacco industries. Prior to joining the journal, Mr. Mickle worked as a sports writer at Sports Business Journal and Newsday. He's a graduate of Wake Forest University. So welcome to the show. Congratulations on the book. Uh, give us your plug so people can find you on the interwebs, please. Uh, at Trip Mickle uh, is the Twitter handle. That's the easiest place to find me. So, uh, and that's two Ps. There you go. So uh, what motivated you want to write this book? You know, it was interesting. In uh, 2017, I, I, shortly after I'd arrived in Silicon Valley from Atlanta, where I'd been covering alcohol and tobacco for the Wall Street Journal, I met with a longtime uh, Silicon Valley reporter for a cup of coffee. And he said, you know, if I were going to look into one thing at Apple, I'd look into to Johnny Ive in a place called The Battery, which is a private club in town. Um, he didn't have any more insight or perspective than that. And, uh, and it just piqued my curiosity. And as I began to ask questions about it, I learned that Johnny Ive had essentially decamped to the battery and begun working from there as opposed to going into the, to the office. And mm -hmm. I was curious about, well, why is that? And the more questions I asked, the more I learned that Johnny Ive had gradually grown disillusioned or disenchanted with 
Apple as it got to be a bigger company and uh, was was essentially working part time for for the company and uh, soon he would he would exit and so I just kept wondering why would somebody who played such a critical role in turning this company around and bringing it from the brink of bankruptcy to the highest heights of the the financial world uh, why would he he decide to walk away from this place that he loved and that that was the real impetus for embarking on this project. That's true. That's true. Uh, so he left in what, 2019 officially? Summer of 19. Yes. But he kind of left before that. Right. Right. It's, um, it's a departure in phases. And really, if you look at, at the way his exit occurred, I mean, it's a good lesson for all of us about, you know, how, how do you leave a company? What, what is the right way to do it? Um, but basically, he was pretty fatigued and pretty burned out after working on the Apple Watch and, uh, and also in dealing with the death of, of his close friend and longtime partner uh, in developing products, Steve Jobs, and came into Tim Cook and said, look, I, I need to take a break. I, I, I want to get out of here maybe. Um, and they struck a, an agreement in 2015 for him to go part-time. Yeah. And that was the beginning of these kind of stage exits that ultimately culminated with him departing in 2019. Yeah. I don't know if the, the audio is starting to break just a bit. I don't know if it's, is it a Bluetooth maybe thing? It's a... I can try to go with just straight speakers. That works. That's okay. awesome. Yeah, Let's do that. Sorry about that. Yeah. 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 No problem at all. That's what ending's for. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so give us the arcing, overall arcing of the book, if you would, please. Yeah, well, the the arc of the book is really um, well. The book really follows the two uh, the two lieutenants who Steve Jobs left behind to to make sure the company carried on after his death, and that's Tim Cook and Johnny Ive. I mean, they're, the book literally goes chapter by chapter between the two of them and their respective stories, both uh-huh. both from the moment of Steve Jobs' death and their early life to you know to when they arrived at Apple and helped turn it around. Through the time when, uh, in, after Steve Jobs' death, when um, Johnny Ive is finding himself in a, inside a company that's changing, he's struggling with that. And Tim Cook simultaneously is is working to define what Apple should be in a new era after Jobs. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's kind of a two part story. It's uh, it's focused on two central figures and the roles they played, making sure Apple endured after Jobs' death. Yeah, and it, it's it's like they they went from being a hardware company, which Steve, you know, was of course from his father being a carpenter, he was obsessed with building things and creating things and and hardware. And after he died, it seemed like that was kind of a huge vacuous uh, sucking sound that just uh, there was no one really to. I mean, Joni did most of the design work, I think, uh, but you know, there really was no one to build. You know the sort of the sort of mind that he had to design these things, right? I mean, you know, the first question that was asked after Jobs' death, uh, in large part because Jobs had put himself front and center and and made himself known for being central to the product development process. There was an understanding outside of Apple that, well, without him, they're not going to be able to create anything. Mm-hmm. So for for those who were left behind, the 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 top ten or so leaders at Apple. That that the pressure was intense to prove the doubters wrong, and Johnny Ive took on and assumed a lot of the responsibility for doing that. 
um, by pushing the the Apple Watch project forward. And that's really to to date the 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 only product that they've introduced, the only new new category that they've introduced since Jobs' death. Yeah, there was an interesting article you wrote in the New York Times. I believe this is your uh, article. Yeah, uh, how technocrats triumphed at Apple. And I think there's a comment here about how he felt like he, uh, Joni left the uh, company behind to the accountants. Right, right. There's a, a period of time after Jobs' death, about four years, three or four years later, where Tim Cook begins to to revamp the the Apple board of directors. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty common for a CEO to to, kind of, to refashion a board and his own image, and Tim Cook began to do that um, as Mickey Drexler, who helped birth, uh, who helped make Gap a household name and birth J. Crew, when he left the board, Tim Cook decided to replace him with uh, the former CFO of Boeing. And Johnny Ive just was apoplectic about why you would replace somebody with marketing sensibilities with somebody who had financial or operational experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happened several times, you know, but when this particular board member was put on the board, Johnny's reaction was, you know, he's just another one of those um, expletive accountants. Uh, He was pretty dismissive of it. And that was reflective of this philosophy that Jobs had that the operations people and the legal team and the accountants and the financiers at the company, that that should be the caboose at Apple and the engine should be the creative side of the company. It should be the the engineers and the designers and the marketers, they were the ones who were driving product forward. And over time, the caboose became the engine for, for Apple as it moved forward in the post-jobs era. Is is my assessment correct then? It, it seems like after Steve died, there just really wasn't anybody to replace him, especially when it came to hardware. And so what Apple and, and Tim Cook were stuck with was – how do we squeeze the ever living margin out of every little piece of hair thing that we can? I mean, you know, one point they quit shipping power, uh, the power, uh, plugs, uh, you know, they, they quit shipping the, uh, little headphones. I mean, it seems like, I mean, I look at my Apple friends and it seems like they're nickel and dime to death. Like you add up what they pay for all the services that they buy. And it's like, it's very expensive. They love it, but it, it seems like, you know, just, Everything they've done over the last since Steve Jobs passing has just been able to squeeze out so many. And they, and I think he, I think he, Tim Cook said at one point that they were now a services company and not a hardware company. Do I have that correct? I mean, they put the emphasis on services under Tim Cook. I mean, the, to your point about Jobs, I mean, he was just uniquely gifted. Very, very few people who don't have an education in engineering can walk in and and guide an engineer on what to do. He just he had the skill of a chief technologist and the skill of a chief marketing officer and the skill of a, and, and aesthetic eye of, of a chief designer. So you can't really replace somebody like that. In other words, like he was a unicorn um, yeah. and, and the unicorn, the unicorn died. And so they had to figure out how to function without him. And one of the, the things you see Tim Cook begin to do as pressure uh, intensifies from Wall Street on you've got to deliver more growth uh, is that he he looks around Apple's offerings and figures out that, well, we've essentially built a giant cable distribution network, perhaps the 
world's largest. It, trans, it, it, it transcends borders. We have a billion iPhones around the world. What can we do to maximize the opportunity of that? And they lean into what he calls the services business, which is the sale of apps and iCloud and the development of Apple Music and the development of TV+. And these become a real you know, driver for the way Wall Street begins to reconsider the value of Apple. And it's part of the reason that they went from being a $1 tri- trillion company to a $2 trillion company so quickly. And we're on the cusp of becoming a $3 trillion company earlier this year before the market really lost lost a lot of its energy. Yeah, I think they were the first to push through the trillion mark, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were the first yeah. trillion, uh, trillion mark, first two trillion mark. I mean, they, they've set a lot of mile markers when it comes to valuation yeah. in the public sphere. Well, I mean, so in in your book, you you entitled it uh, "How the Company Lost Its Soul," basically. Uh, so, it's how do you? Part. It's a two part there, Chris. I, I want to emphasize it's it's how they became a trillion dollar company, which is mm-hmm. the part we were just talking about, the Tim Cook part of the story, and then how the company lost its soul is the other, the flip side of that subtitle, and that that speaks to. Johnny Ives' departure. Johnny, okay. Johnny, as you you may know, was considered by Steve Jobs to be a spiritual partner, mm-hmm. essentially a creative soulmate. Um, he embodied some of the creative sensibilities. Uh, he was really the personification of the creative sensibilities of the company. And he ultimately decides to leave as the company's focus shifts and becomes more about services as opposed to hardware and product. Yeah. Do you do when do you get a chance to interview either Joni or Tim Cook? You know, I I can't get into the sourcing for the book. I can talk to you about courting the opinion and perspective mm-hmm. of the people around Tim Cook and Johnny Ive. Mm-hmm. I mean, both of them talk to a lot of people that they work with regularly. So there there are many ways that you can you can get their perspective and make sure that's reflected in the book. Yeah, it says here on Amazon you uh, interviewed more than two hundred current and former Apple executives as well. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a, a real labor of love, and took a considerable amount of time to put together the book and make sure that the narrative was something that would be compelling for for readers to read. Has was there ever any battles between uh, you know Joni and and Cook over over did did Joni put up a fight or did this thing just slowly go down the you know over time it just kind of drowned the frog drowned on its own in the boiling water i guess it was really an unspoken power struggle um there's not a direct confrontation between the two of them you have to remember this is this is really like a family um yeah. you know, they, their relationship with Steve Jobs their their individual relationships with Steve Jobs were so strong and they have you know, strong relationships with Lorraine Powell Jobs, um, Steve Jobs' widow. Uh, it's it's not a family that's that's prone to confrontation. So mm-hmm. what you have is essentially a, a slow and steady drift apart. Um, and the culmination or the results of that is is what amounts to kind of a corporate divorce, if you will, mm-hmm. where where one leaves and the other the other stays at the house and one moves out. Um, that's somewhat of what's happened here. Yeah. Did did Steve? Did, do you think Steve thought that maybe Joni would carry his mantle onward in creating new hardware and that they would be fine, or do you, do you think Steve envisioned this is what Apple would have been, become? What's your opinion on that? Steve tried to position Johnny Ive to carry on his legacy. He and speaking with Walter Isaacson before his death, 
told his biographer, uh, Isaacson, that Johnny was the second most powerful person at Apple after Steve Jobs himself. I mean, essentially mm-hmm. he made sure that the world knew how important Johnny Ive was to what Apple could could do and should be in the future. Um, I don't think Steve Jobs or anybody at Apple could have anticipated at the time of his death how large the company would become. Um, At the time of his death, they were shipping about 20 million iPhones on an annual basis. They're now shipping 10 times that, 200 million a year. And in a way, you can kind of think of it, of of the analogy of what happened at the company to being something like, um, you know, like the story of like an Olympic gymnast who shows up at the Olympics at the age of 14 and is spry and naive about the world and just goes out on the floor and does a routine that like nobody's ever seen before and wins every gold medal and does things that, that are otherworldly and then returns four years later and struggles with having grown a couple of inches and not being able to do all the same things. Still gold medal performer but you know the the artfulness that's behind some of that performance is is lost by the and and sacrifice just as a consequence of growth and age and and that's sort of what has happened at apple itself yeah it's kind of like when bruce jenner became caitlin jenner no i'm just kidding Uh, yeah that one i'm like (laughs) i'm trying to wrap my head around that one but you know it was the gold medal analogy (laughs) of the olympics it's the gold medal thing i grew up i grew up with wheaties and bruce jenner on the on the box of wheaties you know he 1976 olympics i think it was i grew up i I grew up hey this guy's cool man and you know it's cool what he wants to do too but i i just attributed the gold medal thing there um so uh, what are some things you think are going to surprise you or anything you want to tease out in the book? Maybe stories that people haven't heard of that you've, you've dug up. I mean, these are real character studies of these two individuals. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think the things that surprised me most were, you know, on the, on the Johnny I front were learning that people around him really question whether or not he has X-ray vision or some superpower that, that they don't have. He has a way of seeing the world that's foreign to them. There was mm-hmm. this, this this moment that a colleague of of his uh, told me about, where they were seated at a bar in uh, in Asia, and it was like a long metal bar about thirty feet long. And Johnny Ive is really weary after working on the factory floors for a long time, and he just kind of looks down this bar and says, "I can see every seam in this bar." And the guy looks down the bar and he shakes his head because. All he can see is like pure silver. And he looks at Johnny and says, your life must be fucking miserable, man. You know, and, that, <laughs> and, and, that, and, and, and like, that's only one example. I mean, there's another where like he in his studio in San Francisco kept a glass table on four legs. So it was suspended on four legs and he would yeah. walk in and notice when it began to bow. Uh, in the middle, like a centimeter or so. And everybody else would walk in and he'd say, we need to replace the, the glass. It's it's beginning to bow. And everybody else would walk over and look at it. And they couldn't tell a lick of difference between the way it looked the first day it arrived and the way it looked that day. And they only had to you know, trust his judgment and assessment that it was actually beginning to change. So mm-hmm. you get a real flavor for um, for for who he is as an individual. They They used to joke that uh, he could see dead people um, in, inside the inside the company because he just saw defections in products that escaped the eyes of every everyone else. Wait, I can see dead people too. Can everyone? <laughs> and then on the, on the flip side, on Tim Cook, I was 
I'm from the Southeast. I grew up in North Carolina. And so when I went to Alabama to visit his hometown of Robertsdale, I was really surprised. I expected the town to to think of him as local boy done good, right? I mean, here's this guy from a small town who now runs the world, well, at the, you know, for most of the past decade has run the world's largest company. Um, it's quite an achievement for, for somebody from a town like that. And I thought they would be view him as local boy done good, but instead he's a bit of a pariah there. And he's a pariah in part because he talked publicly in 2013, 2014 about witnessing a cross burning in the town. And a lot of his, a lot of the, a lot of his neighbors and people who grew up with him question whether or not that actually happened um, and have real doubts about it and have challenged him on it. And um Tim stood by his story, but either because they don't believe it or because they they don't like that it's you know put the town in a negative light, mm. he's a bit of a pariah there. And that's just not something I expected. Wow. That's really interesting. You yeah. know, Tim Tim has done good for Apple. I mean, Steve was Steve was uh uh, Steve wasn't, you know, was it Walter Isaacson wrote, you know, we all kind of found out what an asshole he was. And those of, you know, we talked earlier about some of my friends that worked at Apple and, and knew, uh, you know, Steve wasn't the nicest huggy person in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, and so uh, Tim Cook was kind of the the great politician uh, after taking over from Steve. You know, he did so many great things and he was great at, you know, talking from everyone to presidents to working with the Chinese. And I think you detail a lot of that in your book, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about Tim's um, efficiency and kind of identifying the services opportunity and building that out. But perhaps uh, one of the things that maybe his his greatest achievement from a business perspective uh and the book details this is the the six years that he spent working with china mobile and chinese bureaucrats to make sure that china mobile would begin selling the iphone Uh, that started in 2014 and it opened the iphone to a market of 700 million people that's like double the population of the u.s right and you can easily understand why all of a sudden china became a fifth of apple sales in the wake of that because the iphone just exploded there this was a a time around the time of the introduction of the iphone 6 it was the first big iphone people were standing in line everywhere they really wanted that phone and uh and and tim cook made that possible which is a real testament to his patience and persistence those are two two skills that he's brought to Apple over the past decade that have served served the company well. Yeah, I think he would be like a great CEO of any company. I mean, he, he seems very well balanced at being a CEO. Um, I remember when I think it was in the first six months or few months after Steve Jobs passed, and they gave the whole management team like massive bonuses and pay raises. And I remember looking at it just going, well, there's a sea change. Like yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a change. It was actually something that Jobs had worked with the board to put in motion before his death. Oh, really? Yeah. He was, you know, he spoke to members of the management team directly. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he encouraged them to stay and support Tim. He really, he really believed that the key to Apple surviving after his death was stability in the leadership ranks. And oh. so they did work with the board so that immediately, I mean, it was almost immediately after his death. Yeah. They, they went ahead and activated those, those share payouts or the share 
uh, allocations to the to the top leaders so that they would stay and make sure that Apple would carry on uh, after Steve's death. Well, that makes sense now. I just thought it was I thought it was like, well, Steve's gone. Let's go ahead and pilfer the treasury. Let's go for fun. So I didn't know that. That's uh, that's interesting to know. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, he was very thoughtful about about the transition and what would need to happen. Um, in many ways, we think of Steve Jobs and Apple and, and the products that that it has introduced that have changed our lives, like the iPhone. But in Steve Jobs' mind, the most important product he ever created was Apple itself. Mm-hmm. So he was he was very clear on trying to make sure it would carry on and you know look to some other companies like Walt Disney that struggled after the death of their founder uh, for lessons to be avoided and and really tried to tried to make sure that was top of mind in in the mind of Tim Cook and others who were going to be leading the company on. Yeah. Didn't they, didn't they struggle for like 20 years before Michael Eisner came along? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that was just paralysis around the idea of them saying to themselves often, like, well, what would Walt do here? And if you're trying to guess what somebody who, who who's no longer there would have done, you're ultimately a bit doomed to fail because you can, you can never fully think, think in the way they might have. And so one of the, one of the great things that jobs did for Tim Cook was say like, look, like, do not ask what I would do. Just do what's right. And for Cook, that was really liberating. It, it allowed him to look at the way the company was structured and say, you know what, I'm I'm not going to get involved in product. That's not an area of the business that I, I truly understand or am well versed in. I'm going to cede responsibility to that uh, for that to other people who are deep more deeply entrenched in that arena and let them lead that forward um by the same token in choosing to do that that's created wrinkles for the company right like that was how they they had functioned for so long and so there was there was a bit of a shakeout as you had this this group that was accustomed to getting direction from the ceo suddenly find find themselves responsible for providing that direction through consensus yeah, I, I just I read uh, Robert Iger's book, um, and uh, it was a great read. And he was he was kind of brilliant the same way Tim Cook is, where he looked at okay, what are the assets? You know, uh, I, f- I forget there, there's something we posted the other day, but you know, looking at a company, you know, for, for instance, Viagra doesn't sell pills; they sell boners. They, you know, um, you know, they sell. You, what what are you really selling other than the product you sell? BMWs doesn't sell cars; it sells an image. Um, you know, you you want everybody to think I don't know you're a jerk. Uh, I've owned three BMWs, so I'll put that out there because in my own self-effacing way, because um, I am a jerk. But there's that. Uh, so this is this is kind of interesting. Um, how everything went down. Do do you talk anything about the future or what you see is the future without Joni in the book? There's a there's a an epilogue that tries to assess what's happened over the past decade, but really the book is it's narrative nonfiction. So you're, you're dealing with the history of the company Mm -hmm. over the past decade, more so than what predicting the future. I mean, if anything, Apple has shown that, you know, that's a fool's errand to try to predict the future around the, around the company. There were so many people that predicted it would go belly up after Steve Jobs died and look at it. Instead, it, it went through <laughs> the biggest the biggest decade of, of financial growth that we've probably witnessed for a company in history. Um, yeah. So I, I, I do believe that's a bit of a fool's errand. I kind of wonder how, I mean, 
they have they have sliced and dice and particulated is that the right word particulated it might be even like microscopic uh, nuclear level that they that they have done where i mean just everything they have taken it down to the nub of what they can squeeze out i mean i don't think they give you cables anymore when you buy the phone um you they, know, don't the give you a, they give you cables, but they don't give you a power a power a power connector, right? It's a, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. on you to figure that out. Yeah. In fact, somebody just sued them, and I think won because they didn't provide the cable. Uh, the uh, and and just it's everything the lightning connector, everything mm-hmm. they did, you know. And I I saw this going on. I tell my friends, do you see what they're doing? They're nickel and diming you. There's like there's like Apple TV, and then there's you know. And and some of it kind of overlaps, and it, it's crazy. But people love the ecosystem of Apple, and like a lot of my friends, are like you know, you really should you really should use an Android; it's a better phone. They're like, but I love the ecosystem. You know, it's it's very simple, it's very easy. There's no uh, there's no um, learning curve to it, and and people love it. You know, they're like, hey, my email's on my phone, my email's on my computer, and it's just all there. It's just done, and and people love that. Yeah. Yeah. If you're somebody like Warren Buffett, I mean, you can appreciate why he gravitated to the company and decided to invest in it because it's yeah. not all that different from Coke and Pepsi. Right. I mean, if you become a Coke drinker, like there's not a lot that somebody can do to persuade you to grab a Pepsi off the shelf. When you walk into a gas station, you're going to, yeah. you're going to reach for the beverage that you prefer. Um, and Apple's a bit like that. I mean, they've, they've created a, a walled garden to your point where, People just feel comfortable there. And so it's the cost of switching to another provider like Android is it's not worth the headache in the eyes of many people. Did you get a chance to talk to Waz? Did Waz offer anything for the book? I've, I've talked to Waz before. There's a, there's a, there's a touch of, about Waz in the book um, in a chapter that begins at, at the Steve Jobs Theater when they were just opening that and Waz was standing in in uh, in front of the theater and looking up and marveling at it and and just noting that it was like exactly what Steve would have would have built. Um, yeah. You know, he he really admired the the design sensibilities that were on display there. So, but but again, this is this is really not the Waz story. This is the the post Waz story. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did not factor largely into into what what the play on this book. I know sometimes he's kind of thrown some things, uh, not not too not something too nasty, but I think sometimes he's commented like I don't know about the way things are going, but uh, and he's made those public. I think usually, yeah, there was a moment like in that very in that very moment where he's standing in front of the Steve Jobs Theater. They were Apple was on the cusp of introducing the the iPhone 10, and this was going to be such a big moment for them. They were going to uh, try to revitalize the iPhone franchise by introducing Face ID and everything else. And Waz was standing outside saying, "You know, I just I just think the smartphone is boring now." It's you know? <laughs> <laughs> so your point. Like he does, he does provide a bit of a different view on Apple at times than what you would expect from somebody who. Yeah. Was, so it were, who, who was absolutely critical to its its very existence. Well, I think this is cool, showing the history of, you know, everyone's written a lot about Steve Jobs and the history of that. I mean, that's almost been beaten to death. Of course, it'll probably, it's like John Kennedy. They'll be writing about that story forever. Um, but I think this is great what you covered, because I don't think a lot of people have really delved into this part of the history yet. Well, it's not only that, it's, you know, I mean, it, yes, it's the history of Apple, and that's important over this past decade, but like, 
Apple's a unique company. You're not, you, there are not many other companies out there where you've had a founder die who was beloved and, and, and detested at the same time. Right. I mean, jobs himself was fairly polarizing for the people who worked for him. You know, he mm-hmm. could be verbally abusive and, and terrifying and yet so inspiring and capable of pushing people to do work that they didn't think they, they could do that people just love working there. And so the grief that swept across this campus, I think is often overlooked and forgotten. And I, I try to be sure that that's reflected in the book. I mean, there are moments uh, in the book that I described where Tim Cook had made sure that, that jobs office was just closed. They didn't clear out anything. They didn't change anything. Uh, his daughter's drawings were still on the whiteboard. Uh, papers were all left as, as they were. I mean, it's, it's almost like a tomb on campus at infinite loop when they were still there and cook would cook would occasionally walk in, close the door and just stand there and say, he just felt the need to feel jobs presence, you know, wow. as, he was, as he was wrestling with big decisions. And, and so I wanted to be sure that that was a piece of, of the book as well, just what it was like to, to grieve and feel the pressure, the external pressure and expectations, and try to find a way to push forward um, this company that so many people care so much about. You know, you bring a really good point that I never thought of. That that company had such, uh, I mean, uh, a love for the vision, at least of, of Steve Jobs and, and Steve Jobs a lot. Um, but they, they did grieve as a company, huh? And Tim had to guide them through that and yeah. take the mantle up and go, okay, we're, we're okay, folks. Here we go. I never, I never really thought about the whole angle of that leadership. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, it carried on for a while. I mean, there was, um, there's a, there's a chapter in the book that recounts a moment where they were trying to, to build out, uh, a new brand campaign. This was, this was about a year after Jobs' death. The company all of a sudden was, was big enough where it was getting criticized by Greenpeace for not being environmentally conscious enough. It was facing criticism from, uh, you know, from labor activists who were concerned about, people at Foxconn factories in China committing suicide. All of a sudden, like people were talking about things unrelated to the iPhone itself. And it was going to do this brand campaign to try to recenter the company in the mind of customers. And the team from Media Arts Lab that does their campaigns came in and they, one of the, one of their ideas was to show a figure like jobs walking through the Hills above, uh, above Silicon Valley thinking in the morning and kind of thinking about what the company could be. And the commercial was so moving for the, for the people who were sitting in the room who worked at Apple that one of, one of the staffers burst out in tears. Um, and they just, they just said like, well, absolutely. We cannot show this commercial. Um, because we can't like nobody who, who sees a commercial about a dead person is all of a sudden going to like go out and buy products or, you know, have some affinity for the company. But, um, but by the same token, like it just touched such a nerve because there was just so much grief still there. Um, it, it would take years to get past that. Yeah. And I didn't, I never think about how Tim had to work through that. You know, you, you look at Apple and it's such an extraordinary story. Uh, I'm friends with, uh, who is the Apple, uh, CEO. They had the falling out and Steve left. Uh, John um, yeah. John and I are friends on Facebook. Um, and uh, you know, you go through that whole arc of it and then he comes back. 
uh, you know, Bill Gates bails them out with a, well, I think it was a hundred million dollar loan mm-hmm. that basically saved them from bankruptcy. And you think, what if they'd filed bankruptcy? Like, what would the world be like? Because that that iPhone changed the world. What Steve's vision was was he just changed the world. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, you almost have to start with the iPod, really. I mean, if yeah. without the iPod, you don't, you don't, or the company doesn't feel inspired to disrupt itself and create the iPhone. Yeah. And so many times they did disrupt themselves. They ate their own lunch. Like with the iPad, they knew that like, this is going to kill Mac sales. Well, if we don't kill it, somebody else will. It was brilliant and risky. So it was very interesting. Uh, anything more you want to tease out in the book before we go? Um, no, I mean, I'd, I'd encourage everyone to pick it up. I mean, I think ultimately you'll, you'll, you'll get a deeper appreciation for, for the company itself. And I, you know, I, one thing that I would say is like, I would encourage people not to fixate on, on the subtitle itself. There, there's mm-hmm. a reason for that. And I think the book will help shed light on it. It's not my point of view. It's actually the point of view of the people who, some of the people who work there. Mm-hmm. Well, they definitely did a hell of a job. I mean, uh, I mean, it's, it's just such a, an American story, I guess you can call it a Silicon Valley type story um, where you come from the garage and you become a trillion dollar company. I know a lot of people look up to these guys still to this day and, and, and every reason they should be, I mean, they're, they're, they're not evil people. They're, they run businesses really well. Uh, you know, Joni Ive, I think a lot of designers probably look up to him and everything else. So, uh, give us your plugs, uh, so people can, uh, uh, find you more on the interwebs. Yeah, sure. Um, my reporting is at the New York times. I'm covering technology there and Apple for them. So you can find me there. And then, uh, at trip Mickle is my Twitter handle and you can keep track of my coverage and anything related to the book on Twitter. And that's M I C K L E and trip with two P's. There you go. There you go. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Trip. We really appreciate it. Very insightful. Great book. Uh, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. There you go. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com for just Chris Voss. Go to youtube.com for just Chris Voss. Order up the book, After Steve, How Apple Became a Trillion Dollar Company and Lost Its Soul. Sounds like that should be like a movie thing. And they lost their soul. May 3rd, 2022, it came out. You want to order it up today, wherever fine books are sold. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.